Hello, I'm Muriel, and I love true crime. I'm Nick, and I am not a fan. Thank you for joining us. Each week, I force Nick to listen to me tell him a story of a true crime. Welcome to Muriel's Murders. Today, we bring you the final episode of our five-part series on the Palmyra Murders. We left off last episode with Stephanie in jail and Buck on the run. This episode, we wrap it all up. There are some twists and turns coming up, a very moderate amount of justice served, and we'll end Uh the series with a few excerpts from Buck Walker's terrible (laughs) self-published book. Yeah, hell yeah. That's just a treat for everyone who's stuck with us this Uh, whole time, you know? Save the best for last, a little cherry at the bottom of the Sunday. I did write some zingers. (laughs) Okay, good, 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 good. Uh, Sorry. What? Also, remember everyone, this series is all based on the excellent book and the Sea Will Tell by Vincent Bugliosi. It's great. Read it. Mm-hmm. Have fun. Okay. So I'm super excited for tomorrow. You know why, Muriel? Because we're going to wake up. Oh, we're going to see all these new Apple reviews that have come in. <laughs> oh, my God. Our <laughs> listeners are going to write these reviews on Apple because there's a <laughs> bunch of them that have been listening for a long time but never left a review on Apple. And I know how it goes, you know? And they're going to boom, five stars, something really nice, blah, blah, blah. I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be so amazing to wake up and look at our little email and boom, Patreon notifications, you know, people <laughs> signing up. They've been like, I've been listening to you guys for a long time or I just started, but I got through all five parts of the Palmyra Atoll Murders epic. And man, I got to throw you guys a couple of bucks for your effort. You I know? thought you were going to be super excited about our hike tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Muriel and I are also achieving goals, exercising, trying to get some natural endorphins and being healthy. Yes. So great. there's also that good thing. <laughs> all right. Well, great. Mm hmm. Freaking remember. Yeah. <laughs> no no double takes, Muriel. Just go for it. We're not we're not pressing stop. This okay, is gonna fine. be one clean recording. Oh, no. One take, Muriel. This is a true story involving murder, violence, drugs, adult themes, etc. So if any listeners are like Nick and they don't want to hear about those kind of things, go listen to a different podcast. We're gonna curse, we're gonna joke, we're going to ignore the honking horns of the cars driving outside of our window. And the helicopters constantly (laughs) flying in the air. (laughs) It's a party as always, man. Strap in, buckle up, we love you. All right, Nikki, are you ready to hear this story? No! Okay, let's get started. All right sing a song but then i realized that song is sweet home alabama not and i was like sweet home palmyra i don't know i had something in my mind uh okay muriel how about you just do the thing we're jumping right into this okay and so to speak we're just gonna pretend everybody's binging these back to back so i don't have to give you any sort of recap situation beautiful on november 1st 1974 a delegation of officials flew to Fanning Island to begin their search for Mac and Muff. Mm. So Stephanie was still in jail. 
Her mother and brother refused to bail her out. Good. Why? Good. Less as a punishment and more because she was slippery as hell. Yeah. And no one knew where Buck was, right? And the Uh last thing they needed was those two getting together again for another harebrained scheme, right? Sounds like some healthy boundaries to me, you know? I think so. Mm -hmm. After gathering a little more information from Muff's family, some medical history and letters, the FBI assembled a team to thoroughly search Palmyra, including the Coast Guard, prosecutors, the FBI, and the original Mm -hmm. unofficial mayor of Palmyra, Jack Wheeler. All right. What about the owner of the place? He's like, oh, I forgot I own that place. I'm a billionaire. They, I think that is what it was. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Uh, ham radio operator Curtis Shoemaker also had a hand in this investigation. Mickey Mouse Club? Exactly. He recruited his friends mm-hmm. from Fanning, because he's got so many friends, Yes, uh, to help facilitate transportation and support. So the guy who actually had flown his plane to check up on the island yeah. also had a tugboat. <laughs> of course. He's like, M-I-C-K-E-Y, get in my tugboat. <laughs> Of course he has a tugboat. The group traveled from Fanning Island to Palmyra via tugboat and entered the Palmyra Lagoon to find it as it was intended to be. Empty. Completely deserted. With a couple of bodies strung up in the trees to scare away people. I feel like they're going to find the bodies immediately. No other boats in sight. Uh No yachties. Just perfectly still water a thick, dark jungle, and the deafening screeching of wild <laughs> turns. So the first- Turns? Obvi- turns. Remember oh, turns. Yeah. I thought you said turns. I don't know. I just remember you said it sounded like a Disney ride, and I was like, what is happening inside your brain? And now, you're, now they're just like screaming turds, the, the roller I coaster? Like I don't know. I I'm weirder than I actually am. Okay, so the first obvious mm. piece of information they gathered, yeah. there was no boat crashed up on the coral reef. Stephanie had claimed in her yeah. like statement to the FBI that she and Buck had tried to tow the Iola out of the lagoon with the sea wind and accidentally ran it aground. Mm-hmm. The Iola was nowhere to be seen, so her first lie had been uncovered. Yes. At Mac and Muff's old camp, the group found a burn pit with charred, empty prescription bottles, along with a cheap black Halloween wig that scared the hell out of everyone until they realized it wasn't real. Oh. And then some broken, burned lenses from a few different pairs of eyeglasses. At Buck's former camp, they just found his little tent, the way he had it set up with a well-stocked bookshelf and a sketchbook that was just filled with sailboat sketches. Mm-hmm. After spreading out into the jungle, officials found the refrigerator house, the old military outbuilding with its well-worn fridge and freezer. On the roof, a shockingly robust crop of pot plants waved in the breeze. Oh, they got the weed growing, It huh? was a success. <laughs> All right. They said they were over a foot high. Oh, well, that's really not very that's big. That's not very big. <laughs> <laughs> Man, all you have to see is like one Cypress Hill music video to know that. It's like, to be as high as a cow's high or whatever they call it. Okay, John. The rest of the search. As high as a cow's eye. Isn't that from a a musical, Oklahoma? Oh, elephant's eye. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Corn is as high as an elephant's eye. I'm over here talking about Cypress Hill and Cheech and Chong. You're out here talking about Music Man, you know? This is what, this is... 
this is why we're good, you know? Okay, so they searched the whole island. Uh-huh. The rest of the search of the lagoon was really, really hampered by shark attacks. It was just not <laughs> happening. So in the end, they found no substantial evidence, no bodies, mm-hmm. and absolutely no sign of foul play. No evidence. And no other boat. Yeah, I already said that. I know, but I'm just adding on to it. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Uh Buck Walker was on the run in Honolulu. He had climbed out from under the dock the day Stephanie was arrested, bought a touristy costume with a straw hat and sunglasses, and then managed to book a flight, because it's the 70s, Uh from Honolulu to Hilo on the big island under just a fake name. Sure. didn't even need to have an ID. Yeah. From there, Buck dropped in on his old side piece, Gina Allen, the lover whose former rodeo cowboy husband provided Buck with his fake ID. I remember this. That would be the real Roy Allen. Uh Uh, The two had sex, and then he (laughs) borrowed some, straight to it, then he borrowed some camping equipment and disappeared Uh into the Kohala Mountains, where he hung out. Smoking pot and reading Carlos Castaneda. All right. It was the perfect escape until Buck got bored of camping a week later and decided to hitchhike to the nearest town to have some fun. Mm -hmm. By now, the FBI had discovered this Roy Allen hippie guy was actually Buck Walker, a fugitive with several looming drug charges and a suspect in the high-profile theft of the sea win. Buck's real name was in every paper, spread to all the islands in Hawaii and law enforcement agencies as well. And Buck found out all of that when he bought the morning paper in the little mountain town where he'd gone to indulge himself in restaurant food and hotel beds. Mm -hmm. On November 8th, 1974, Buck Walker was arrested by the FBI while sitting at a picnic table reading about his notoriety in a local (laughs) newspaper. Just with his big arm tattoo that says Buck just out in the open. After a week of elaborate Megamind schemes, Buck's grand escape ended with getting bored of Don Juan and craving a burger. Agents handcuffed his arms behind his legs and stuffed him into the back of a rental car. Arms behind his legs? They were just like, he's real big too. I mean, just to try to pretzel him up so he wouldn't do anything. They're just like, you stay here. Oh, that's crazy. Like contortionist style. <laughs> but, okay. That seems weird. But but that's what they said. And then they were super like, what do you bend someone at the waist and like, or no, like, no, it's like you're sitting with your knees up with okay. your butt out. Uh huh. Yeah. Something like that. All right. Yeah. It's sure. not like that crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a lot of episodes of cops, Muriel. I never seen anyone. Well, actually, whatever. Okay. <laughs> right. So pretty much Buck had the same story as Stephanie adding that, they repainted the boat when they got to Hawaii because the boat had been soared. Uh, adding that they repainted the boat when they got to Hawaii because the boat had been stabbed by a swordfish at sea and they had to uh, hold, they had to cover up, so they had to repaint the boat. <laughs> and also, I'm going to say, this sounds like an old wives' tale, but I, uh-huh. you know. Okay, I guess occasionally that does happen uh-huh. where like a freak swordfish will just like put a hole in the side of a boat. That is p- pretty savage. Yeah. So, you know, but I th- you would never then paint over the entire beautiful boat with what I'm assuming is a terrible paint job. I mean, 
come on now. It does seem like ridiculous. And also, we're not going to get super into the trial details. Yeah. It is possible, but also when they brought the boat to shore to like fix the hole, yeah. they found like, um, they brought this guy to shore and they said, hey man, the swordfish pierced the hole of our boat. And he said he came in and there was like a mangled swordfish nose sort of stuck in the side of the boat. Uh-huh. But like easily it could have been a gunshot hole and they just put that in there. <laughs> Uh-huh. So, whatever. <laughs> that was all inconclusive. <laughs> uh, so, Sunday, November 10th, mm. an Aloha-style funeral was held for Mac and Muff above the journeyer. Um, I was just going to add this in. Vincent Bugliosi used a bunch of aliases in the Sea Will Tell, and I thought I had caught all of them and kind of replaced them with the actual names of people, but yeah. I didn't catch this one. So, Bernard Leonard is actually... A guy named Edwin Pollock, but we're gonna stick with Bernard Leonard for the ending okay. of this story here, because that's what we called him the whole time. Okay. So Bernard Leonard mm-hmm. held the informal memorial on his yacht, the Journeyer, after a short ceremony. About a dozen friends and family of Malcolm and Eleanor Graham dropped orchids and Hawaiian lays into the water just off the Diamond Head State Monument in Honolulu. So it was a really beautiful moment at this point you know no bodies had been found but the people who were close to them kind of assumed the worst yeah the worst because they had the boat you know that's and i think we you said this is going to be a double murder from the beginning they're dead right i mean r.i.p mac and muff that's where we're at well i think the whole episode's going to be about that so why don't you hold on to your pants okay now (laughs) returning now returning to thank you for not saying hold on to your butt okay (laughs) Missed opportunity. Now, returning to Buck and Stephanie's boat theft trial, we start up again on January 7th, 1975. And yes, I'm saying boat theft trial Mm -hmm. because... Not enough evidence to charge him with murder. Exactly. Now, a week before Stephanie and Buck were supposed to stand charges on boat theft together... Stephanie's defense lawyer requested the cases be tried separately. So the request was granted, and now they would each stand trial for stealing the sea wind separately. That is sounds like a very good move. It's like, right? I do not want to be in the same boat, you know, pardon the figure of speech, with this with this guy. Yeah, it's. I think it's a, it sounds like an excellent move as well. Yeah. Uh, a week later, Buck was sentenced to five years in federal prison for his old... MDA charges for selling ecstasy Uh back in the day. The whole impetus for this flight to Palmyra. Right. Now, while everyone was preparing for the boat theft trial, Mac's sister, Mary Graham Muncy, also known as Kit, received a totally ridiculous letter from Stephanie and Buck in the mail. So after Kit had watched Stephanie's arrest back in October of 1974 and noticed Stephanie was arrested wearing one of Muff's favorite blouses. Uh-oh. Kit didn't trust Stephanie as far as she could throw her. Yeah. She had big vibes against Stephanie. Kit had a few interactions with Stephanie after she was arrested, but this was the first time that Stephanie had taken the time to write Kit a letter. Sorry, and Kit is Max's sister. Exactly. Gotcha. The envelope contained a quick note from Stephanie about how Buck 
had written Kit months earlier, but the letter had been misplaced after the arrests. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) what follows is this basically an obviously post-dated eight-page letter (laughs) that Buck had concocted, uh, basically an attempt to butter Kit up before the trial, I think. Okay. The letter is so annoying to read, and it's exactly the same style as his book, and I wish... You'll get a sense of it later, but it's just very like grandiose and whatever. It starts off with the super condescending, sickly sweet condolences. And he talks, goes on and on about how much he admired Mac and how the two couples have had really been the best of friends. On yeah, Elmira, right. Um, before. We matched wits and I was able to teach him a thing or two while I also appreciated the lessons he attempted to pass on to me. I'm going to read you a quote from the book because it's literally that. Right. Like I of think course. almost exactly of that. Course. So of it's course. All about that, you know, kind of not realizing that Muff had been sending these letters to Kit being like, oh, my God, this guy is insane. Yeah. He's the worst. Right. 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 And then he's, you know, I'm so sorry about your their tragic fishing accident. My heart goes out to you. Uh-huh. And then the bulk of the letter is basically Buck justifying completely taking possession of the sea wind. Sure. So. His pitch is that. They made this valiant effort to move the sea wind from Palmyra to Hawaii. And in this effort, they had crashed their own beloved boat that was worth $10,000. So they were going to have to take the sea wind as repayment. Uh Uh, Also, he added that Mac and Muff would have wanted him to have it anyway. He knew, you know, they knew how much he loved the boat. Plus, he let her know. Buck had already registered the boat under his own name. Mm-hmm. He writing, quote, also, I've registered the sea wind, renaming her Lokai, meaning of one mine in Hawaiian, which we think aptly sums up the spirit of our feelings. <laughs> She's like, well, I think you should never rename a boat. And Mac would literally never give this to anyone who would ever consider renaming it to yeah, begin with. Right. He ended um, with the offer to ship her anything she wanted from the sea wind, any keepsake from her dead brother <laughs> with his sympathies. A couple old canned hams. Yeah, right. Adding a PS. We found about $400 aboard and used it on repairing and painting the sea wind. However, we'll return this amount to you if you feel it's the right thing to do. <laughs> so whatever you get from that, that's yeah. the whole tone of the note, right? It's just Unbelievable. Like, I think it's really a guy who thinks he's really good at scamming, right? And yeah. talks a great line. And doesn't realize like that he's not as good at that as he thinks he is. Just like for the record, like if anyone out here is listening and and you happen to be a person who lies a lot and just like does that. (laughs) People know. You know, people know. Like unless you're like really one out of a hundred. Like if you're not like rich and famous and powerful because of your lies, then like everyone knows you're lying all the time. (laughs) That's just how it goes. All right. So we're going to go to the trials Mm -hmm. buck talked stephanie into going first so she volunteered to have her trial take place first her trial was held in june of 1975 the boat theft and related charges were all federal charges so there's still heavy charges but like we said there wasn't enough evidence to charge for murder so they just did the boat theft charges So most of this trial was a parade of Palmyra folks testifying to the tension between Stephanie 
Buck and Mac and Muff Graham. We kind of talked about yeah. this in the last episode. This is where Stephanie realizes everyone hated them. Right. It's basically like people who Stephanie thought were her friends were just trashing her, talking about the begging and bartering for food, the bad condition of their boat, the terrible dogs. Probably the biggest bombshell at trial was an interaction that Stephanie had with another yachty in Hawaii after taking the sea wind from Palmyra, but before she and Buck were caught. So Mm -hmm. she had made friends with this woman, Lorraine Woolen, and the prosecution got Lorraine to testify. So she testified that Stephanie had told her that she and Buck had bought the sea wind from a couple who were just super tired of the upkeep of having a yacht and sold it to them for really cheap for just a song. When Buck and Stephanie departed that particular harbor in Hawaii to move on to the next harbor, Mm -hmm. Stephanie left Lorraine a note asking her to pick up some photographs that Stephanie had gotten developed but didn't have time to pick up before they left. Right, she wanted Lorraine to mail them <laughs> What to are her. they just <laughs> Pictures of them murdering Mac and Buff? So Lorraine eventually goes and picks up the photos, but by then, the story of the theft of the sea wind had broke, uh-huh. so she just brought them straight to police. And the photos were taken from the deck of the sea wind in open water and in the background you can see the iola at full sail with the hatch wide open so the type of thing you would do to purposely scuttle or sink a boat come on man they took a picture of that clearly showing that stephanie had just straight up lied about the boat being stuck up on the reef i was joking about the picture of the murder but because i just figured there'd be no way that the photo would be that on the nose of proving a crime or a lie yeah man uh the only witness that was called for the defense was stephanie herself Mm -hmm. who's sort of like after this photograph thing is just deflated right so she like sits on the stand and she listlessly recites her story word for word the same one she tells the fbi Mm -hmm. and that would include the iola getting stuck on the reef so despite the photographic evidence she just includes that anyway even the murdoch guy took his lies that he got caught in and wove that into his story on cross-examination the prosecution straight up showed stephanie the pictures of the sea wind and the iola side by side in the open ocean and then asked her if the boats had ever sailed side by side in the open ocean. (laughs) And she said, never (laughs) nailed it. Oh man. So obviously the whole Mac and Muff would have wanted us to have the boat defense was dumb as hell. And she was found guilty on all counts. Stephanie was sentenced to two years in federal prison and five years of probation. Buck's trial was in December 1975. He told pretty much the exact same story as Stephanie, but he had watched Stephanie's trial. I think that's why he wanted her to go first. Mm -hmm. And he had come up with an excuse for the damning photographic evidence. He said he forgot to say earlier the Iola had crashed into the reef, but he had actually been able to dislodge the boat. She was just so damaged they had to scuttle her and take pictures. Mm-hmm. Buck wasn't slick. He was found guilty on all charges and sentenced to 10 years to serve consecutively with the MDA charges. So 15 mm-hmm. year stretch wow. altogether. Wow. 
Oh yeah, is that? I thought consecutive was. Oh no. No, concurrent yeah. is when they're together at the same time. Yeah, which okay. I just think it's such a wild way to sentence somebody. Commit one crime. Might as well figure out yeah, what they'll do, do co- concurrently. I don't understand that. So Buck ended up being sent to yet another island, a Washington State penitentiary. Which one? In the Puget Sound. Which one? Called McNeil Island. That is out where my grandparents live. You can see it from their house. That's Yeah, and there are absolutely stories of prisoners escaping in the 70s and 80s, swimming across that whatever it is, this sound, and climbing up the um, the little cliffside into Mary Mary's house. Oh, that's Mary Ripley's house? Well, I wasn't going to say her last name, oh, well. but R.I.P. Mary, you know? <laughs> Sorry, I was just like, trying to remember what you were talking about. Yeah, it's okay. Wild. We don't really need... She doesn't own the house anymore and she passed away, R.I.P. Mary. But uh, yeah, I don't know why I was trying to protect her. It's okay. it's I don't even know how real that story is, but that was absolutely the story uh, growing up. I wonder well, if it was Buck. Hold on to your butt. Did he, did he, did he escape? <laughs> At McNeil Island, Buck concentrated on getting super buff and reading a lot. Uh, he was scored at that time was having an ultra high IQ, which is great. Um, he was okay. known to give uh, all the other convicts like legal advice and consultations oh, God. in exchange for cigarettes. Okay. And Buck was kind of a 1970s prison guru. He even practiced astral projecting in his cell. Oh, he did. Apparently he finished those Carlos Castaneda books. <laughs> My dad's like super into astral projecting. Uh, I tricked him really bad one year in a prank by making him think he was astral projecting. Uh, so that's an old Don Juan trick if you uh-huh. don't read the Carlos Castaneda books. Um, Buck wrote tons of letters, many to Stephanie, who never responded. Um so back then, there was this thing called the Aloha Club. And this was an organization that sent volunteers to prisons to cheer up inmates from Hawaii. It's very specific in Seattle, whatever. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So they'd hand out lays and play Hawaiian music and hang out with Hawaiian inmates. Huh. And at one of these events in the prison rec hall, Buck Walker met 39-year-old Ruth Thomas and sometime in 1979, Ruth Thomas cleared out all of her husband's bank accounts and disappeared on the very same day Buck Walker escaped from McNeil Island Uh-oh. and out into the ether. Oh, my God. Straight to Mary Ripley's house. Hey, seriously. Hey, I'm going to do some research. I wonder if anyone out there is, is homies with someone named Ruth. 1979. I'm, That's not out of the range. I literally am holding on to my butt right now. <laughs> this is this is the real deal. That's crazy about uh, the Hawaiian support system, too. Just because, like, I don't know. I grew up, like, in my neighborhood. There was tons of, like, Samoan kids and Hawaiian families. There's, like, a big cross. Like Pacific Islander. Yeah, yeah, there's a big, like, cross community thing. A lot of people move when they... If they moved to the mainland, a lot of them moved to Seattle. Yeah, I guess I, that, I guess that is true. Yeah. yeah. In the six years after the boat theft trials, the Palmyra jungle reclaimed Mac and Muff's Cove and the Handmade Dock. Buck and Stephanie's cash crops went to seed. No doobies were rolled from that weed. Mm-hmm. Everything just got rusty and crumbly and covered in spider webs. Yachts came and went. 
Some looking for clues or souvenirs from the Seawind case. Some leaving behind news clippings about the suspected murders of Mac and Muff Graham. And then in November 1980, Sharon and Robert Jordan sailed to Palmyra in their handmade yacht with plans to live on the island for a while. And they passed time pleasantly, less adventuresome than Mac, more laid back and tropical paradise living, like a little fishing, a couple chores, mostly living off of supplies, right? So the happy medium between Buck and Stephanie and Mac and Muff. Yeah, exactly. Like, we're hippies, but I mean, we do know how to sail. (laughs) (laughs) And these yachties were lucky. Uh They found the deserted island they were looking for. And... A mystery. They had heard about Mac and Muff, but actually hadn't connected them to Palmyra until they pulled into the lagoon and started putting together. They saw the decrepit campsites uh-huh. and they found some old newspaper clippings in a building. So if you can imagine being on a deserted island and being like, this is so odd. Yeah. And then you like are exploring an old falling apart hospital and find a newspaper clipping about the murders. I feel like that would be so scary. I just am still having a hard time with these people that are, know how to navigate the world, know how to sail, can read a map, are all good in, in the Magellan wisdoms, and also like didn't just realize that the Palmyra Atoll is like where people go and get murdered because they land there and there are other people there and then you hate the other people there and then it's like terrible. I It is this thing of like, they're so much better at surviving than you and I would be in any situation. Like I can't do anything. I can't even drive a car. But there is this kind of lack of self-preservation where like, if it were <laughs> yeah. me, if I found this like, I mean, maybe- I would just never even get there. You wouldn't even see me there. <laughs> if I were there and I found those clippings and like night fell like a curtain and yeah. there were screeching birds, I wouldn't be able to stay on that island. Yeah. I would just be too scared. Maybe that's not self-preservation. Maybe that's just cowardice. <laughs> I'm no. just a scared person who can't do anything. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm sitting here saying we would never get ourselves into bad situations, but we've... I've done that a million times. Yeah, we just, definitely... We just, just did that in Humboldt ones. County. We just put ourselves in like murderous the worst. Our death trailer like, of all time. How old are you? Yeah. What? Yeah, all right. And I take it all back. Okay. No, we're idiots. We yeah. can't do anything. We're just like good at judging people. Okay. <laughs> then one day in January 1981... Sharon Jordan Uh-oh. was strolling naked on the beach, just hanging, when she found a human skull. Oof. So there had been a storm the night before, and it looked like an aluminum box wrapped in wire had washed up on the beach and spilled open. So there was like an open box, uh, an obviously tied bit of wire. Oh, come on. That's just straight up out of a pirate movie, like the body <laughs> stuffed into a treasure chest. Yeah, and, and then scattered near the box and the skull where the charred, like a pile of charred human bones and a woman's wristwatch. So Muff Graham's remains. Muriel, that is you, a production designer and a script writer and CGI and Pirates of the Caribbean wouldn't come up with a more, whatever, cliche way for a body to be discovered. That's Buck Walker's point. <laughs> so, you know. Oh, really? <laughs> That's Buck, one of Buck Walker's points. Okay. Okay. The FBI landed Mm -hmm. on Palmyra just days later to collect the bones and the container. It looked as if the remains had been cut up to fit into the small metal box, set on fire, and then the box had been wired shut 
weighted down and then sunk into the lagoon. Because if you remember, mm-hmm. there's no soil on the Palmyra Atoll. You couldn't, you couldn't bury, bury anything. Yeah. Right, but you do got a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah, I so don't think he used a chainsaw. He didn't? Well, there's no evidence of that. But Oh. <laughs> what did he use? Machete, I guess? Nick, I'm going to keep telling the story. Okay. Okay, the bones were thought to have been washed up for just a few hours during a little storm, like a squall. With the way that the tides worked on Palmyra, it was actually pretty wild that they'd been found at all. Mm. Like, the, they they were only probably visible for this tiny window of time where she just happened to be walking by after six years, you know? Yeah. R.I.P. Muff. Yeah. The skeletal remains were identified as belonging to Eleanor Muff Graham through dental records. And on February 20th, 1981, Buck and Stephanie were indicted on first-degree murder charges. Stephanie turned herself in to authorities in Los Angeles where she was living and was released on a $100,000 bond. And her family set her up with a pretty wild defense team. First, Leonard Wineglass. I don't know if you remember this name. Mm. He was a defense attorney who represented people in all kinds of huge major leftist cases. So he represented the Chicago Seven. Mm. Um, he represented the guys who leaked the Pentagon Papers in 1971. So that was the thing that led to the Watergate scandal. Um, he represented Black Panther and activist Angela Davis. And he also represented your old friend, Kathy Boudin, okay. on her, in okay. her finally, uh, felony murder case. Okay, she's not my friend. Uh, for anyone who's not on our Patreon. Also, come on, you're this far into the freaking episode? Join our Patreon. But I did do like a triple <laughs> episode about Kathy Boudin. So, yeah. Okay. Weather Underground, like yeah. huge, big, famous name in that scene at the time. Yeah. And then his her second attorney that the the family hired was Vincent Bugliosi himself mm-hmm. the, the author, author of, of our book. book right and Bugliosi had made a name for himself as the deputy district attorney for LA County and famously successfully prosecuted Charles Manson in the Tate LaBianca murders mm. so he was a huge name as well yeah. and he had recently switched to private practice like in the early 1970s and then started working as a defense lawyer instead of a prosecutor gotcha um so it's kind of a crackerjack little squad y- kind of it's like at the time this yeah. is one of the best i mean it's a very good so squad. what stephanie's family is just rich and can afford it i mean there, this isn't it's a charity like her mom from, is mm-hmm. not super rich but i think her uncle is there's uh-huh. like some sort of money in the family but she's she was kind of always on the edge of that i think her brother is also really well gotcha a lot of in and the sea will tell is about vincent Bugliosi's relationship with stephanie the ins and outs of building their case and how he's like himself he's like an awesome lawyer okay <laughs> it's a really fun read uh but we're gonna skim most of that we're just chunking along muriel murder style we get it vincent you're really good at your job it's like it's 700 really, pages of that my favorite thing he's right right but he everything is about like his perspective and uh-huh. it's just 
so funny. It's like he's the most awesome guy and uh-huh. he puts the judges in their place uh-huh. and he used to be a prosecutor so he knows everything and he's so good at being a defense lawyer because of his background. He's like the best uh-huh. uh, and he wins everything which is great. And then also, um, you guys, I part of this, like for some of the denser trial stuff, I uh-huh. just listened to the audio book and took notes that way. And if you want to read the audio or listen to the audio book, it's the funniest thing in the world. The guy is very talented who reads it, but he does uh-huh. all the voices. He does. <laughs> and they're so offensive. <laughs> he like, does like accents The and women. No, he's like, like his voice for Stephanie is just like, oh, I don't know, Buck. I can't think. He's like a full grown man. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we'll have some excellent sex. <laughs> and then like... <laughs> And the one that killed me is he has like such a dinky voice for Bernard Leonard. Uh huh. So, he's just making fun it's of him. So offensive. I don't think so. And he's like, "Wow, I'm not." Like it's literally as. Goofy. I know. It's like his friend got murdered. Cut him some slack. No. At least give him a, a dignified voice. No, they just make him like a very imperious, almost like a Muppet. I mean, it's uh-huh. a lot. It was a very entertaining audiobook. I recommend not for maybe, maybe not for the intended reasons. So, when the FBI tried to locate Buck Walker for the murder indictment, or law enforcement tried to locate Buck Walker for the murder indictment, they found out, you know, his ass had already escaped prison like a year and a half earlier, and literally nobody knew where he was. Mm -hmm. Unlike his former girlfriend, Buck Walker had no intention of surrendering to the authorities. So I'm going to do the quick and dirty version of this. It's pretty elaborate, but I'm just going to give you the hits. So the FBI worked with like the U.S. Marshals and the DEA, all kinds of law enforcement agencies to track Buck down to Yuma, Arizona, where he was working in a heroin smuggling ring and going under the name Sean O'Dougal. Buck had hooked up with a local guy who was smuggling heroin from Thailand and Buck's role was running the heroin then down to Mexico. So by now, Buck had bled Ruth Thomas dry. He and the heroin gang had set up a house that was filled with girls and Ruth was the oldest woman and so the designated den mother. Bucky was now running around with like a new 19-year-old girlfriend while like Ruth stayed home and keep kept the house clean or whatever <laughs> okay. that was dusted all the piles of heroin right and this is all basically guys that buck met in prison uh-huh. this is just constantly his network that's how he got caught up on his drug charges right. before he's always yeah, yeah. Kind of hooked into these things so over time dea agents tracked buck's moves and they busted him with a crap ton of heroin at a motel on the outskirts of yuma so All in all, right, Buck's in a lot of trouble, including his fresh murder charge in the death of Eleanor Graham. Sorry, how old is he at this time? He's probably like 40, early 40s, like 41, 42. I think he was 36 in 1974. Mm -hmm. He lives a pretty wild life, man. Yeah, definitely. Astral projection. (laughs) He's good at sketching sailboats. Buck's whole heroin deal and the drug trafficking charges before that all stemmed from his wide web 
of prison buddies, many of whom were totally fine with ratting him out to investigators. Turns out most of what they did on McNeil Island to everyone's kind of shock was just sit around, smoke pot, and tell each other jazzed up versions of their life stories. I guess there was like a work farm that was adjacent to like the actual prison that was a minimum security work farm. So Uh anybody who was on that would just be like smoking weed and growing out. (laughs) It's really like easy to do that. Uh. Although most of this was inadmissible jailhouse snitch stuff, investigators found Buck's story of what happened on Palmyra invariably included murdering the Grams, either making them walk the plank or sending them out in a raft with no water, just all kinds of stuff that changed all the time. Mm -hmm. So we're getting to the murder trials. This time, Buck went first. Charged with first-degree murder, Buck's trial began in the spring of 1985. Most of the testimony in the trial, again, came from Palmyra witnesses to Buck's behavior and people who received letters from the Grams complaining about Buck's unnerving, aggressive behavior and things like the missing rat poison, right? Or mm-hmm. Buck haphazardly shooting at fish with his 22, things like that. Mm-hmm. Experts at trial testified that Muff's bones had been twisted and fractured to fit in the small aluminum box and that it looked as if an acetylene torch, like the one that Mac kept on the sea wind in his workshop, had been used on her body either before or shortly after her death. So while there was still, still skin on her body. Oh, man, horrible. that is just... I made that joke about whatever the Pirates of the Caribbean thing, and it's just like, it's just so gruesome. Yeah. It's horrific. Yeah. It's absolutely the worst terrible thing. Her jaw and molars in the skull had been fractured with a heavy blunt object like a ball peen hammer or a sledgehammer so it was it was hard to tell like to de- determine the manner of death from the mm-hmm. skeletal remains they mm-hmm. really just couldn't but they could tell at least that the body had been damaged trying to get it into this package but mm-hmm. you know a lot of people speculate that there was torture involved yeah. so but it's kind of impossible God. to tell Horrific. There was also an ex-wife of Buck's who testified that Buck was incredibly violent and aggressive in their marriage and also that he had been fantasizing about sailing around the world and sketching out his dream yachts for years. Mm-hmm. Remember they found that sketchbook? In his yeah, tent? yeah, yeah. It's To me, it's almost, uh, it's interesting that in that life, living on that island, seemingly hating everything he continued to sketch sailboats like yeah. to me I, it, it's I, mean, I guess that's like i mean he's obviously a psycho well but. it's like when people you know it's like sometimes the dream is more important than the reality you know it's like one day i'm gonna be da 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 one day i'm gonna do this and then it's like you just spend all your day dreaming about it and you don't do any of the things so you're literally on a deserted island with your sailboat and you're like one day i'm gonna sail across the world yeah yeah this is real tricky yeah right. tricky, it tricky. is tricky yeah The prosecution also brought up all the different lies that Buck had been telling people about how he got the sea wind. So, you know, he had all of these stories. This couple sold it to him for cheap. Um, I won it off of Mac in a high stakes game of chess, you know, just like (laughs) 
Ridiculous stuff. Yeah. (laughs) The defense called in some of Buck's heroin smuggling buddies who had served time with him on McNeil Island as like a character testimony thing. Terry Connor testified that Buck never talked about murdering Mac and Muff, only talked about how he admired them. On cross-examination, the prosecution pointed to evidence that Terry Connor had asked Buck to bring him in as a character witness so he could try and escape during the transfer. (laughs) And then Terry Connor just held up his hands with his palms up and like, oops, my bad, you caught me. And he ended up escaping during a transfer back to prison eight days after the trial ended. So it worked. I guess, I guess. More power to you, man. I don't know. I, don't I mean, know it just feels like nobody has control over this situation man. at all. <laughs> so Buck did not take the stand in his defense, which means mm-hmm. that he, there's no, at the time, there was no version of his events of the story. Right. The jury deliberated for less than two hours, I think an hour and 20 minutes, before delivering a guilty verdict. So Buck Dwayne Walker was sentenced to 10 years to life for the murder of Eleanor Graham. A quick result that did not bode well for Stephanie. Mm -hmm. So for Stephanie's case, which is like 600 pages of this book (laughs) that I'm condensing down into about a minute and a half, for Stephanie's case... Her defense team's argument, in a nutshell, was that it was possible Buck had killed the Grams himself while she was on the Iola preparing for their departure to Fanning Island and then staged the whole fishing accident and made up the dinner invitation story so that Stephanie wouldn't freak out. Okay. And then together they pumped each other up to believe like Mac and Muff's last wish was for Buck and Stephanie to take the sea win for themselves and sail the world. And that would explain a little bit of why she didn't seem to understand the gravity of the situation when she was arrested in Honolulu. If you remember back, mm-hmm. she like kind of wanted to row back to the boat and get the dogs and put the dogs below deck and like when the Coast Guard was chasing them down. Totally. And didn't really seem to understand like even though this was a boat theft trial, like there were definitely things in the works to build a murder case against them. Mm-hmm. And she was just like, well, you know, boat, like exactly yeah. how she always was. I mean, it's sort of convincing to me. It also seems like, and maybe I don't know this woman, never met her, never seen her. All I know is you talking about her. But I'm just going to go out and say that I think she would probably crack too under like a crazy confession. I mean, that's what thing. That's what interrogation confession thing. Yeah, okay, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I think that's what like Bulliosi thinks. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's one thing that is very true is pretty much everything we know about what happened comes from Stephanie's perspective. Mm-hmm. It's her logs right her captain's logs that she's writing about what happened mm-hmm. on the journey it's her version that she told Vince Bugliosi while they were preparing for trial so this book is all from her perspective mm-hmm. so you know she does she did a lot of crazy stuff and the question about her is like is she a hippie who goes with the flow and just like really doesn't see the bad in things you know mm-hmm. or is she somebody who can justify away behavior right Right, in herself. Maybe it's not an either or. Anyway, unlike Buck, 
Stephanie did take the stand in her defense. And that was something that Vincent Bugliosi fought really hard for. Um, people didn't want her to take it. And he said, this is the only way you're going to mm-hmm. you know, do well in this trial. So I'll tell you about her testimony. She testified that she had been on the Iola working for like a day and a half and that Buck had just been in the jungle. And he told her he had been taking down his camp and doing this stuff, you know, on on land uh-huh and that on the day that mac and muff disappeared buck actually had swung by the aola just to tell her about the dinner invitation so she didn't get it herself mm-hmm. she just got it through buck when they showed up at the sea wind for dinner snacks and stephanie's favorite drink a bottle of apple brandy was just laid out on the galley table and mac and muff were nowhere to be found she said that they took some snacks and some drinks and then went up to wait topside and for Mac and Muff to get back until it got dark and she started to get really worried. You know, it's dangerous to be in the lagoon at night. It's impossible to see where they were going. So Buck sat there and ate a box of cookies and seemed pretty bored. They turned on the mast headlights and after a while Buck wanted to go downstairs and make some dinner and Stephanie was just totally embarrassed she was like it's gonna be so bad to be caught stealing some of Mac and Muff's food I cannot do that Mm -hmm. and this is all according to her and she said Buck ignored her went downstairs made himself dinner from their supplies and then went to sleep on the sea wind um, while Stephanie stayed up the whole night waiting for Mac and Muff calling out into the lagoon at dawn she said she woke Buck up And they took the other dinghy out into the lagoon to try and find Mac and Muff. Buck rode the dinghy out into the lagoon pretty much straight to the overturned Zodiac, about a half a mile away on the beach, like a couple feet above the waterline. So this would be the boat that Mac and Muff would have been in. Mm -hmm. So Stephanie said she jumped out of the dinghy. She ran up on shore. She lifted up the Zodiac to see if they were maybe underneath it sleeping. And she's frantic shouting their names while buck just watched her totally quiet buck wanted to give up saying it's obvious that they were dead but stephanie dragged him along and they kept searching for days sleeping on the sea wind at night just in case they came home and then after the third day of searching buck just refused to keep going Stephanie testified that Buck told her they couldn't go to Fanning Island like they were planning to call for help because he'd be arrested on drug charges. That's the whole reason why they were hanging out on the island, right? Yeah. He said that Mac wouldn't have wanted the sea wind to be just left on Palmyra Island to be vandalized. So they should take the sea wind. They would be doing him a favor. And Stephanie was like, okay, well... Why don't we then take the sea wind and the Iola to Fanning Island? We'll just tow it and we'll leave the sea wind on Fanning and just call for help and then get supplies and go back to Palmyra on the Iola then. Fine. And by then, Buck is just raging, right? He's like, stop telling me what we can do. I don't care what you do, but you have three choices. You can stay on Palmyra alone and do whatever you want. You can take the Iola wherever the hell you want to take it, but you can take it alone. Or you can go with me back to Hawaii on the sea wind. But whatever she chose, that's what he was doing. And he was taking the sea wind. 
And this is where all the convoluted, like, justifying and plans to take the sea wind really got started. We're not going to get way into it, but basically, like, Buck and Stephanie had found a copy of Mac's will that said something about, in the event of his death, one of his friends could sail the sea wind for two years before returning it to his sister Kit in the U.S. Now, this particular friend that Mac was talking about was named in the will, but Stephanie sort of used that to convince herself that she and Buck were Mac's friends too. So technically, she felt she would be fine taking the boat for two years. Only two years. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she'd be fine with that because probably... Mac would have wanted it this way anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's something I could imagine a hippie just being like, I mean, you know. I'm his friend. We were like besties, you know. He's no square. I'm sure he's cool with it. Yeah, right. It kind of like, it kind of sneaks in there, right? And then Beck is, Buck is like, great. Okay, sounds good. I'll strip the name off the stern of the boat. (laughs) I'll re-register the boat under my name in Hawaii. And I'll repaint it different colors. So this is like where the swordfish thing comes in. I'll repaint it different colors just so no unenlightened law enforcement takes the boat from us. Uh, Buck told Stephanie to tell anyone who asked that the Iola got stuck on the reef because otherwise this whole thing is going to start looking really fishy. Mm -hmm. Fishy. Good, Muriel. (laughs) Very good. And they scuttled the Iola at sea so they wouldn't create uh, a safety hazard in in the lagoon. Buck was like, oh, we can't we can't sink, leave the Iola in the lagoon and it sinks and then people will never be able to use the lagoon again. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure it's at sea where nobody knows where it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know, the deal with all this trial thing, whatever, law, is to create a seed of doubt in the minds of jurors. You know, not all this did happen, right? Exactly the way Stephanie said it did, but that maybe it could have happened. That yeah, way. the shadow of a doubt. I mean, to me, that sounds to me that it makes some sense. Yeah. If we're going to believe that we have any idea of the type of person Buck is, I think he absolutely could have killed them without Stephanie knowing. We haven't even talked about Mac yet. Right. And plus, we know that it's impossible to hear anything through all the yeah. jungle. Yeah. It's it's believable to me, you know, reasonable doubt for sure. Yeah. So. There were a few unfortunate things Stephanie had to contend with that came up at trial. For instance, a log entry Stephanie wrote on September 4th, just days after she said she had been frantically looking for Mac and Muff. It read, and the decision to depart followed by a great deal of preparation while we all grow fatter and fatter on ham and cheese and pancakes and turkey and chili and all the things we haven't had for so long and the dog's Feed on corned beef hash. Okay, so she's just eating the dead people's food. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Bugliosi is like, hey, what is she going to do? Let the food rot? They right. need to eat. But also, it's pretty ebullient, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, turns out after she got out of prison for boat theft, Stephanie's next boyfriend, Joe Buffalo, was also a fugitive, wanted for (laughs) shooting and killing a man in California. Oh, great. Buffalo and Buck, man. She knows how to pick them. Yeah. So that was like another, what's going on with this lady? Uh Womp womp. Right. But maybe fueled by the fact that up until this trial, 
Bugliosi was convinced after all these years that Stephanie still believed that Buck was completely innocent and it was all a misunderstanding. I think because of all that, Bugliosi mounted a pretty believable defense and Stephanie was declared not guilty. Mm. And that's it. Max's remains were never found. Really? Yep. Buck was paroled in 2007 after serving 22 years in prison. He died of a stroke in 2010 in his trailer in Willits, California. Um, Stephanie Stearns went on to live a pretty quiet life. She worked a white-collar job, kept her nose clean, and I couldn't find anything recent about her now. She's not on any social media. But you think she's alive still? It's hard to tell. I think that everybody's getting to that age where she probably is, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's getting up there. A lot of people aren't. Buck did publish a book in prison called Palmyra, A True Story of an Island Tragedy. Now, yes, I'm just going to say it. It's a trash fire. <laughs> it's really, yeah. it's, uh, I skimmed it so you don't have to. I got the ebook. Uh, so we're just going to take a moment to make fun of it. Okay, <laughs> so all right. closing this out. Here we go. Uh, basically, the entire book is a point-by-point refutation of And the Sea Will Tell, mostly about how Buck is actually very smart uh-huh. and amazing and really, really, really good at sex, like tantric <laughs> third-eye sex. <laughs> Hell yeah. He says that the real story is that Mac accidentally killed Muff mm. when he found Muff having sex with Buck in Buck's tent gotcha. in his camp, right? Gotcha. So he said Mac went wild, shot Muff, and then grabbed Muff's body and burned it himself. And then there's this big chunk where he says uh, Mac stalked Buck around the island with a gun. And they fought to the death. And in the end, Buck shot Mac in self-defense. So the rest of the story about how he covered up the murders aligns with what we know to be true. Uh Um, So that's just the main part that he changed. But other highlights include Buck was an amazing dog owner with perfectly trained dogs that he always had tied up. And they had so much healthy food for the dogs Mm -hmm. that they were happier on Palmyra than they'd ever been in their life. Okay, and every person who ever went there would say otherwise. Buck was an amazing cook Uh and very, very good at chess. And Stephanie was actually the stoned idiot who couldn't do anything or remember anything. It was just really dumb. Uh-huh. Uh, Buck loved fish and coconuts, but Stephanie was really picky and she wanted to have better food. And that's why, oh, the food shortage thing happened. Right? Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and she was a pothead who wrote everything down wrong in the log. <laughs> so she was always spacing out. And that's why the log is saying all these things happen. Uh-huh. But she's always writing the wrong thing because she's dumb that's okay. buck's whole thing also gotcha. she she talks in like an old-timey like mall voice you know like oh god what are you doing over there she's from new york uh-huh. so she has this accent but it's like all the dialogue that he wrote in this book that i read uh-huh. is like in this ridiculous new york accent and it's all about her basically pretending to be a prostitute so he's like can you hand me this well maybe if you pay me <laughs> 
Well, maybe if we go, it's just like ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's really over the top. Uh huh. Hilarious. Uh, Buck was also wanted to make sure everybody knew he was smarter than every cop. And he was the nicest guy in pretty much every situation. So a lot of situations in the book, uh-huh. he's explaining to people why they're overreacting about something, calming them down, being like, oh, you don't understand. The dogs are actually very well trained. Uh-huh. And you're just a little scared. And they're, they don't they sense that you're not really a man. You're like stuff like that. <laughs> Uh, he also adds in Buck was actually the one to give Max cigarettes. He wasn't out there bugging, like begging for cigarettes and smoking butts. He was the cigarette king and he taught Muff how to use commands with his dogs so she wouldn't be so scared of them because she was Mm -hmm. really a scared person. Well, it would make sense to me that Muff wants to play up how much she hates these dumb hippies when she's really having getting some hot sex on the side you know what i mean yeah and he said they were both like hardcore alcoholics uh-huh. um and they were both always very grateful for all the gifts that he gave them of course um, buck obviously was really the best fisherman on the island so good that he speared a shark and he never failed um during the dismal fishing lesson <laughs> this is the one that got me uh-huh. so in the fourth episode of yeah. our series right we talk about tom wolf and this fishing lessons so right. right tom wolf goes out and they can't catch any fish so he, he gets bit by the dog uh-huh. it's this whole yeah, horrible yeah. thing and his testimony at buck's murder trial was really damning uh-huh. and just painted him like such an idiot right mm-hmm. so he spends a lot of time on tom wolf <laughs> <in this book. laughs> so he says during the dismal fishing lesson that tom wolf talked about after he said Popolo had bit him in the stomach, which actually never happened. Okay. Uh, he actually just got scared and fell down in a pile of wires and pipes and cut himself. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so he said actually what was going on was Tom Wolf was a terrible fisherman and Buck just kept catching fish after fish after fish. And Tom Wolf was so humiliated, he grabbed Buck's gun himself and shot the fish in the water. And then... A shark jumped out of the water and scared Wolf. Buck saved Tom Wolf's life. And then Tom Wolf pooped in his pants. (laughs) And then told (laughs) Buck if he ever said anything, he would kill him. And Buck was like, hey, man, you got to calm down. It's okay. It happens to everybody. Um, And then afterwards, he said uh, Tom Wolf tried to pay Stephanie to have sex with him. And Stephanie was completely like what a horrible guy everybody hates him okay uh buck always wanted to make sure he was never broke and he always had tons of money and mm-hmm. stephanie's an idiot because she just kept forgetting oh, that he was actually rich <laughs> yeah uh-huh. uh, and then he just basically of course he paints matt graham as like really crass kind of drunk um like a silly bully mm-hmm. he wrote that he and mac they played chess all the time when they were best friends and they really liked to roughhouse with each other so he writes out this whole scene about how he went over to the sea wind and mac was showing him something and then he reached over and poured a whole can of oil over buck's head and then buck looked at him and was like, you better run. And then he grabbed a bunch of like grease out of a bucket and rubbed it all over his face. 
And then they started to wrestle and run around the sea wind having a spray paint fight. So this is a quote that he says happened. I grabbed a spray can full of dull red paint sitting on a top of a deck locker, turned and squirted him on his bare chest. He grabbed one too and squirted a stripe down my backside as I tried to dodge. We squared off like two duelists circling warily, yelling and laughing like kids, getting in a squirt here and there. Muff came up scolding. Oh, you're making a mess. You're a mess. Mac zapped her in between her boobies. (laughs) (laughs) This book is fucking completely outrageous. Uh, Um, How do you, okay. So I'll just read you some other quotes and then we're going to be done. Okay, all right, great. (laughs) What are you going to say? I don't know. How This is just too much. So he was also having sex with Mac. He and Mac were like literally best friends and Mac kind of looked at him like a big brother sort of. Uh-huh. That's like how he said it. But he he said Mac was definitely There's like, a lot of oiled up squirting happening over there. And then Mac is like also like really into Stephanie. So he's like a leery sort of like creepy guy. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because Mac's only like three years older than Buck, maybe four or something uh-huh. like that. Like they're basically the same age. So here's some other quotes and then we'll we'll close it out. Um, here's some excerpts from the dedication in the beginning of the book. Okay. Uh, it's dedicated to Stephanie for her innocence and past belief. And then also, <laughs> let me not overlook Vincent Bugliosi and Bruce Henderson, without whose version I would have nothing to correct with truth. Finally, for all those who disrespect truth and reality, may you eat the cake of your blissful ignorance and find comfort in your small-minded smugness. (laughs) That's us. That's us. That literally is us, our small-minded smugness. I love how he's like, I want to thank all my haters because without you, I would have nothing to rage against. Uh. He talks, this is his description of Vincent Bugliosi, like Mm -hmm. seeing Vincent Bugliosi. I saw a vaguely familiar face, his mouth a smug cradle of ivory kernels beneath the obsidian snake eyes I remember so well. We had met across a conference table in a courtroom six years before, each sizing each other up and concealing mutual antipathy. Vincent Bugliosi. No one enjoys Bugliosi more than Bugliosi. <laughs> uh, well, I might have, he might actually have a point there, but I think the I same know, could be said for Buck, that's for sure. These <laughs> uh, are just two more, okay. So this one, he's just talking about um, how bitter he is. So this is just a little passage of that. Great. It's a flavor for the writing. Uh-huh. Rub salt in the great wound of the insult. Lift a sponge of vinegar to my lips. I am used to it. For life in prison is nothing less to me than an extended crucifixion. I look about me for the thief I will take with me into heaven, where I am sure to find more dogs than people. He really likes dogs. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Okay, and then this is the last one that kind of lets you... This is how he describes his relationship with Mac. Okay. So this is a series of dialogue that he says he had with Mac. And we begin with Mac, okay? Mm -hmm. Oh, I do. 
I love her, meaning Muff, more than Sea Wind. She's what makes being a sailor worthwhile. Yeah, a good woman makes a big difference. Fact is, Muff probably saved my life the way I was going. Then Buck says, oh yeah? How's that? And Max says, oh, you know, man, I was feeling lost and depressed, like I didn't fit in anywhere. Who knows what would have happened? A life of crime? Suicide? I used to have a lot of anger, you know? Anger that I didn't quite understand. And then Buck says, me too. I think all men do at some time or other in their lives. Thinking men do anyway. You get to feeling you missed the boat somewhere along the way. You feel cheated. And then Max says, well, that's a pretty good way to put it. Okay, that's that. Great. I think he's working some stuff out, you know. With that. Yeah, it's yeah, like he's just... very nice in his stories, and then yeah. horrible when he's himself. But in right. his stories, he's like the nicest guy. Saves Tom Wolf from pooping his pants and getting eaten by the shark. Yeah, gave Muff some good sex for once in her life. I mean, he's like, I was just always gentle and and sweet, and everybody loved me. He's like, yeah, in the Palmyra Atoll, I was the only one who's not a Palmyra a hole. <laughs> You know what I mean? That was really beautiful, Nicholas. Thank you for taking this journey with me. I know that was pretty intense. Yeah. Sorry I didn't have more answers for you. More answers? Like I don't even remember any questions I asked. You asked so many questions. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Oh, you answered all of them eventually, didn't you? I mean, I don't know. There were so many. (laughs) Now that you are done listening to all five parts of this epic go listen to our yacht rock playlist on spotify oh yeah the link is in the show notes muriel set it up let's it's face called, it those are the best songs you know they're I mean? so good yeah. i listened to this playlist the whole time i was um working on this thing listen man what it's called palmyra yacht rock great name for a playlist <laughs> okay buck also to- i know <laughs> wait what do you mean buck <laughs> <laughs> I just make the best playlists. I did. You know? It's great. I believe you're you. You're the worst. Uh, Doobie Brothers are on there too. The real Doobie, the Doobie Brothers. Doobie Brothers. This is amazing. I have to look into this McNeil Island thing. Yeah, I know. That's crazy. We'll have to do an update on our next something something yeah episode when I remember to do it. <laughs> Thank oh, you so much for no listening. no no no. Pull up our pull up our Instagram, Muriel. Go ahead and read that DM from Ange. To answer Nick's question about serial killers from the Henry Lee Lucas episodes, if you care, not trying to be a know-it-all, according to the FBI, mass murderer kills four or more people in one event. Spree killers kill two or more people without a cooling-off period. And serial killers kill three more people in separate events at different times with a cooling-off period between the killings. Some say two or more, but a 1998 federal law defines serial killings as three or more. The cooling off period is what separates free killers from serial killers. Love the podcast. Love y'all. Your fan, Ange. That's so great. I know. And we, Thank of you. course we care. And you can be a know-it-all with us. That's this is the family. Best. We you know love what I mean? know-it-alls. No, of course we care. See, you guys, we will. So this is, that was mainly an illustration of the fact that we'll, you know, do a follow-up thing about McNeil Island. Yeah, you know? definitely. That's awesome. Yeah. Actually, I'm 
that was good to know. I yeah. read a few things and they contradicted each other and then I gave up. Well, we're going with Angie's uh, definition of what the FBI says. You know what I mean? 100%. Hell yeah. Okay. I don't know. I guess this is the uh, final outro for a five-part thing. So I feel like we don't really... You guys know all the things. Yeah. You know? The main thing you can do is uh-huh. share this and uh, like like it on Spotify. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. If you know anything about algorithms, just, just do that. Just interact with us in some way and on the internet post posting about us, I think is really good. Like maybe you have a, um, Reddit page that you're like the, um, what are they called? Admin. Exactly. All right. Well, I'm done with this. Yeah, this is definitely done. We uh, we do love you guys. We love you guys so much. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.